0: Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. Good morning. So, it is always a pleasure, and uh, I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about the world we live in. It's impossible to separate life from sports. My life would be much poorer if not for sports. I was never a good athlete, never, Um, as hard as I tried. Uh, My first memories of of participating in sports go back to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, when I was about five years, not even quite five years old. And my father was a uh, graduate student at the University of North Carolina, and one of his friends uh, was coaching a I can't remember what league it was, but, like, so tiny that you're, you, you're, none of your equipment fits well, and I fell in love just watching these kids basically just trip over things, and uh, and I was like, I want to do that, and they told me, one, my birthday was, you know, I wasn't quite old enough. Um, I hadn't turned five yet, and also, though in those days they didn't care that much about that, but because so, there were some kids who were able to play before their fifth birthday, but they had to weigh at least 50 pounds. I did not. So my goal from that point forward was to weigh 50 pounds. So my birthday was coming up for the next season, and so I was turning, um, I was yeah, was, by that time I was I was uh, by that time I was turning so I was turning five, and I was still only 48 pounds. So I dedicated myself for the first time in my life to an edict regiment, and it uh, took everything in to me. But I eventually managed to weigh 50 pounds, and I played on depending upon who you ask. I thought our team was the little Jets. But my friend, Carson Hines, who went on to become a great football player, uh, who was in the ACC Hall of Fame, and was at one point the leading receiving uh, for tar- yards, touchdowns, uh, the leading receiver in the ACC at one point, and of course still holds a lot of records at Duke University, uh, but he was by far the best athlete on either, on anybody's team. But uh, he thinks it was the, the little Dolphins, whatever we were called. Uh, we have the best player in the league. And our, so the first time in my life I saw athletic greatness in my friend Clarkson Hunt. And it stood out to me. and It always has. I have sought greatness in, and surrounded myself whenever possible with greatness. And so that's why I love doing what I do, talking to these young men who are chasing greatness, and some of them catch it. Uh, the most famous name I've had on my show is probably Geno Atkins, and who people forget was a fourth-rounder. And there were lots of questions about Geno Atkins. He was 288 pounds at the Combine. It's like, oh... Kind of small. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. I guess you could say that. And then later, <laughs> later, <laughs> you think you will learn the lesson, right? Zach? But then Aaron Donald comes along, the exact same question. Now, to their credit, they didn't let him go into like, the fourth round. But there's a lot more to football than just being big. Though obviously, it never hurts. I, I, I would have loved to have been a larger kid. I was always, you know, one of the smallest. Uh, second or third small on almost every team I've ever played on from the time I was five years old until finally around 20. I got, I got the message after walking on. I was later walked off basically my college football team. Uh, hey, I, I don't even understand how hard it is to play college football. It's not for everybody. Um, so after all that, I just want to thank all these young men, especially this year, who persevere, and want to chase this dream of playing professional football because it's hard under the most quote-unquote normal of circumstances. And now all of a sudden, especially if you're a smaller school prospect, it's all the normal process has been turned upside down. Uh, you right now, or or should be in an NFL camp, but there are no camps, uh, mini camps. There's nothing. I mean, there's other than everything that's going on via distance. So after all that talking, uh, let me introduce Zach Sam Martino, a dominant. Interior Office of Linemen uh, from the Dartmouth University. A uh, First of all, a, an institution that's famous mostly for its non-athletic graduates, uh, Supreme Court justices, captains of industry, uh, scientific giants, um, uh, great architects, musicians, all kinds of people come from Dartmouth. And yes, some pretty good athletes have come out of Dartmouth as well. But Sports isn't the first thing that possible have anything dark. So we're going to talk about that as well. But, uh, thank you, Zach, first of all, for making the time when there's so much going on in your life. So you come from, obviously, a very famous family in terms of American athletics and the American athletic scene. Uh, almost anyone who watched professional wrestling from, I guess, the early 1960s or maybe late 50s until well into the 70s had the opportunity to see your great-uncle uh, who was, one of the first, as far as I can tell, people who, who trained physically. I mean, seriously trained physically. I should put it that way in professional wrestling. Like, you could tell he worked in the weight room. Like, his body, which held up for a very long time in a field of field that professional wrestling, I've known people who've done it. And injuries, just training for it, are very, very common. Busted eardrums, uh, torn ACLs, broken bones, um, uh, spinal, what do they call it, spinal concussion, right? That sounds awful, but I've known people who have gotten spinal concussions training. Not even real matches, just training, you know, <laughs> going to these training facilities. to become a So say what you want about professional wrestling, whether or not it is quote-unquote real in terms of the sport itself, the physical punishment and the training for it is very, very real. So I'm just going to touch on this very quickly, and then the rest is going to be about you, I promise. How much have you been told or have you seen of your very famous
1: relatives? Yeah, so I mean, I live in Pittsburgh. I grew up in Pittsburgh my whole life, so traveling way to school. So just coming from Pittsburgh, coming from the area where he was famous, and uh, I've heard a lot, a lot of people who are in their gosh, it's like people as young as like their thirties in Pittsburgh know who he is. So a lot of times people just talk about like, oh no way, you're not related to this guy, are you? And so yeah, I've, I've been able to watch a lot of YouTube videos of him to see see C- see some of the stuff. It's been pretty cool to watch. Good name, Jake. Yeah, I would imagine. Um...
0: So, yes, I do want to spend the time on you because you're, you're the prospect. But mm-hmm. it's impossible not to. You know, it's the 800-pound gorilla in the room, right? Or For sure. Or whatever. So it's, it's, whatever it is, it's a large thing in the room and you can't not touch upon it.
1: Of uh, course.
0: Yes. And you're and not the only athlete in your family. You're I mean, just the most well-known one. So tell me, obviously, you're from what I would call a one of the most sports-obsessed cities in the United States. I've spent a little time in Pittsburgh. I have friends that went to Carnegie Mellon. My background is actually theater of all things. Don't laugh. But I had lots of friends, because Carnegie Mellon is famous for a lot of things. Uh, They have a great robotics program. They have a great – all their programs are great. Uh, But they also have a great theater program. A lot of very well-known actors and directors have gone to Carnegie Mellon. So I used to spend time up there visiting friends. And how could I not go to see – Whatever, right? Duquesne, Pitt, whoever I could see. And then you've got hockey. It's a big hockey town. Baseball. Basically, every sport we play in America, Pittsburgh goes crazy for it. Um, What is it like growing up in one of the most sports-obsessed cities on the planet Earth?
1: It's been a great time just being an athletic sports-founded family myself. I mean, we've had season stealer tickets for well before I was born. I've gone to a lot of Penguin games been a really cool thing, even translate down to, like, high school football. People talk about, like, Texas high school football and whatnot, but I think Western PA is pretty big, too. I was getting 8,000, 10,000 people in my games on Friday nights. So I think it's just been a really right. great town, all in general for that. You are. Sure. I mean, if you just
0: go, if you don't go by, if you look at the size of the area, like Western Pennsylvania, not just Pittsburgh, but the surrounding area, the, they could have a whole wing of the Hall of Fame just for guys from Western Pennsylvania. Right? For real? I mean, there's a, there's a good number of Western Pennsylvania prospects, and players uh, who've gone on to true greatness, and not just in, in football. Obviously, we think of football first, but Western Pennsylvania's produced great athletes in, you know, I mean, baseball. I mean, there's been so many great baseball players, too, that have come from Western Pennsylvania. Uh, one of my father's favorite players was Dan Musial, who's from Denora, and mm-hmm. I believe. That's where Kim Rippey Sr. is from as well. Correct. Uh, great basketball players. Have come- great great athletes.
1: And, of course, you talked about.
0: Now, did you also play hockey growing up?
1: I did not. I uh, played a little bit of basketball and soccer in my elementary and middle school days before I switched over to football and to so on full time.
0: Got it. Okay, so I've got to ask you about your hoops game. What kind of basketball
1: player were you? Not a very good one. <laughs> okay. Probably sixth or seventh man my whole career. I ended up stopped playing after ninth grade. I was a big man who could just do a little bit of a turnaround jumper, and that was pretty much all I had. That and rebounding. That was okay. my thing.
0: Well, that can be enough. I've seen people make whole careers out of that, at least through college. Yes, for sure. yes, I know what you're saying. For sure. Okay. So I'm guessing you played basketball
1: like a football player. Is that what you're basically telling me? Yeah, pretty much. I was just like the big kid on the court pushing people around. Right. But once again, there's, a, there's a definitely
0: a place for that. Uh, and then soccer. Now, I've known lots of kids, I mean, especially nowadays, who grew up playing soccer. And I'm always interested, especially on the kids sort of, on the larger side, um, what kind of soccer player were you? What do you think soccer maybe helped you to do once you transitioned?
1: Yeah, so I actually always wanted to play football like in elementary school and whatnot, but my parents wouldn't let me. And uh, so soccer was a sport I went to, and I was actually pretty good. I was one of the better kids on my team up until uh, probably middle school. And so I think that just helped me with a lot of just quickness, balance, I think, just kind of having that background in it alone. It also just helped me with endurance straight away. So I think it was a good uh, good stepping stone for me to start out with soccer.
0: Okay. Now, obviously, you're an offensive lineman, and we're talking about some sort of other sports and how they transfer over to football. I wrestled. That was, like, my best sport. That was the sport I was best at. I wanted to be great at football. was not. I was actually decent at wrestling, and I found that that helped me, though I, I was a defensive back, so it didn't help me as much as if I played closer to the football, closer to the line. But uh, did you ever at least mess around with wrestling? Obviously, people are going to, you know, ask you about it, but did you ever wrestle at any point in your, in your athletic career?
1: Uh, people are surprised. I actually never did wrestle.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I I couldn't find it anywhere in my research, so I I figured I'd ask just to be certain. That is surprising for two reasons. One is a lot of the coaches I've been around encourage, especially in high school, their defensive tackles and and especially interior offensive linemen to do it because of the things that can sort of help you to learn in terms of leverage and, as you said, balance and footwork and things like that. Uh, Okay, so... First of all, that is interesting, that at no point, not even for, you know, ninth grade year or something, did you say, what the heck,
1: I'll, I'll take a shot at this. Yeah, I mean, I was always uh, – so, or wrestling was never offered in elementary school. And then once I hit ninth grade, I knew I wanted to play football in college. I kind of shifted all my focus on that for the offseason, just training and for that. So wrestling never really came up. I sure. never really just had a, a desire to do it, I would say. Got it. Understood. So let's, uh, let's move – Into your your
0: childhood. Uh, Obviously, you said you're from an area that produces a lot of athletes in a lot of different sports. From your particular part of where you grew up, who are some of the young men that you encountered, maybe in youth sports, maybe in high school, maybe in camps? Who are some of the other guys that were coming up on you who are also really good
1: athletes that you encountered growing up? Yeah, I mean, so I played against uh, Miles Sanders my senior year in uh, high school, or my junior year in the playoffs in high school. He's on the Eagles now, on to Penn State. I have a buddy who I went to elementary school with, Graham Adamitis. He played tight end at Princeton. He was an All Ivy tight end, and uh, he's an unsigned prospect right now as well. I mean, honestly, just too many to count. We've had a ton of just guys who go to FCS schools, some FBS schools. That there's just too many to recollect. I had one of my best friends was a tackle yeah. at West Virginia. Well so yes, right. As everybody. I said,
0: Western Pennsylvania and football. I mean, American football as you know it would not exist if not for Western Pennsylvania. Uh so much of what of you know, so many of the great coaches I mean, this is a long list of everything that happened in American football, Western Pennsylvania has a part in it. You know? For sure. Uh, we, for sure. You you we literally could not have the history of American football without the contributions of Western Pennsylvania. So Yes. Uh, I actually was born in Philadelphia and oh, really? you know, the you know, whole other side of the state, but from the time I was old enough to hear people talk about football, I was hearing about Western Pennsylvania football, and like I said, whenever I'd visit, I would try to find a game, right, and when I first started, once I got old, when I first started really getting serious about talent evaluation and studying the draft and studying, um, you know, scouting and things like that and, you know, reading Articles that were written by Steve Belichick, or books written by Steve Belichick, the father of Bill Belichick, and learning about what Tech Stram and, and Gil Brandt did with the Cowboys in the 60s and how they built that team, and learning about Bill Nunn, uh, who, of course, is the father of the actor and the son of the man who founded the Pittsburgh Courier. Um, I mean, if, if all the other things we talked about weren't important, Bill Nunn breaking the color barrier in scouting in the NFL. And bringing so many great players, uh, particularly great black players who would not have probably had a chance to play if not for him bringing them to the Steelers. He was an instrumental part of building that Steelers dynasty. Uh, exactly. You know, John Stallworth, Donnie Shell. I mean, there's Ernie, oh, my gosh, I'm um, Thank you. Thank you. Look at you, young man. Yes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know. Okay, you're the real thing, right? Because uh, you you do Hollywood bags, <laughs> so you are Elsie sure. Greenwood. Three uh, of those guys, right? Came For sure, in bro. part or or entirely through through Bill Nunn. Yeah, of course. So yeah, you're you're the real deal. You know your you know your you know your Pittsburgh history, sure. history. Um, So let's talk a little bit about that. You obviously grew up around it, in it. Um, talk, tell me about your high school program and the rivalries, right, because some of the rivalries in Western Pennsylvania High School football are, you know, Texas, and, you know, and California and Florida, and those are great states, and they have great talent. But I think just for pure – because everything's more compressed, it seems to me. Like, everybody's closer to everybody in exactly. Western Pennsylvania, right? <laughs> so – I mean, you could have a rivalry between, you know, two high schools in Los Angeles County that are big-time rivals, but it could be 45, 50 minutes drive to get from one campus to the other. It's sometimes 10-minute drive to get from one school to the other. In, in, in Pittsburgh, these are kids that often go to church together who are about to try to cave each other's heads in. So tell me about the rivalry that you had um, between your school and other schools and which, why those schools, like why were certain schools the teams you
1: really, really wanted to beat. Yeah, so I went to North Hills, and uh, I think our biggest rival was North Allegheny. So they were, obviously, they're right next door to us. I mean, I literally live, like, 10 houses away from the North Allegheny uh, city line. So they're literally oh. like 10 minute drive, five, 10-minute drive to their campus. And they, uh, back in, like, between 2010 and 2015, they won, like, three or four straight uh, Pennsylvania titles. Uh, so they were always a great team. They've had, they turn out five or 10 D1 players every single year. Uh, another school, Pine Richland, is uh, kind of on the come up recently. They won a couple state titles. They had Ben Danucci, who played at Pitt, and JMU was their quarterback at the time. And then I'd say our last rival would be probably a Pittsburgh Central Catholic, the only private school in our oh. conference. And uh, yeah. at the time, my senior year, they were like number one or two in the country, and we were like a 7-2 and two team. And we ended up losing them like 10-7. to seven. But uh, I'll tell you, those three teams are, are our biggest rivals. We always played up against those teams because they were some of the best teams in the entire state. And we were a good team, but we were just never quite that same level. But we always played them hard. Right, right.
0: Well, of course, obviously, everyone knows Central Catholics for from one Danny Marino. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the, the old legend is that the, the last words of the old man, Art Rooney, um, when he passed, was we should have drafted Dan Marino. Now <laughs> I, I, I I assume that's just sort of an apocryphal story. I know that he was he he was upset uh, you know, that uh, they let Marino slip through their fingers, and that he wanted Marino and you know got chopped out of it by his son and uh, and some other people within the organization. And he. I hope we didn't take it literally to the grave, but I know that for a while there he would look at them like, you know, we should have, like it took a couple of years to get over it though. Like he would pass them the hallway and shoot them a glare like we should have had to bring it up. For sure. <laughs> um, so it's interesting that, and I'm going to ask you about the recruitment process because I have friends, including um, some close friends who are uh, directors of recruiting or assistant directors of recruiting at universities now. and. It's now an entire industry unto itself. Right? I mean yeah. you, there's entire websites and television shows and radio shows and uh you know, blogs and uh uh podcasts and whatever else devoted nothing to recruiting, right? Just nothing but recruiting. That's all they talk about, right? They don't talk about who won, who lost, or whatever, just recruiting, recruiting. Um, that is a relatively recent phenomenon. Once again, the advantage of being old is that you get to see things happen. <laughs> recruiting, recruiting was like a, sort of a local or regional thing. Nobody talked yeah. about national recruiting in the 70s. And really, it started in the 80s with um, Tom Lemming, who quit his, you know, job job, his normal job, his day, 9 to 5, <laughs> bought a van, and drove all over the country trying to see every good football player he could. He picked a good year. Uh, well, it wasn't 83, sorry, it was 79. Uh, it was the 83 draft class, but all these guys from the 79 recruiting class. Eric Dickerson, I mean, it's just a list, right? Bill Fralick and obviously all the quarterbacks, Elway and Kelly and Marino and, you know, uh, uh, and the sort of forgotten um, Todd. Um, For sure. Yeah. Uh, Blackwood and uh, speaking of, of Pennsylvania guys. And... Uh, you know, and, of course, obviously, Ryan. But, but, yeah, so this great class, Ken O'Brien, was this great, great, great class. was one of the historic recruiting classes, the 79 high school recruiting class for, for football. And something like seven or eight future Hall of Famers uh, wow. for NFL Hall of Famers were in that recruiting class, which is a lot. Crazy. And, um, and so he picked a good year. And so he put out the first lemming report, which was an attempt to actually – you know, not just go off reputation or what. Because Parade Magazine, which was, was one of the first things I ever saw that tried to deal with sort of national recruiting. I don't know if Parade Magazine exists anymore, but it used to come in the Sunday newspaper, and it would be this national magazine, and they would have high school American teams. And from my understanding, once again, this is me sort of talking to people who were around doing this in those days, they didn't try to actually go all over the nation and see all these kids. It would all come in as recommendations from coaches they trusted in different country. Tom Lemming's like, forget that. I'm going <laughs> to, you know. So the guy spent, you know, an entire fall just driving, 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 you know, Michigan to Mississippi to California, I mean, everywhere, right? And it, the first sort of interest in it, you know, people started buying this thing. Mostly, you know, first it was just like college coaches and all like that, but eventually. "Quote unquote normal people, or fans, would start buying his stuff, and then you know now you know you've got like I said, twenty four seven scout.com, and uh, uh, you know everybody, ESPN has its own high school recruit. Everybody, everybody says they're serious about this. Has some sort of you know Fox. Everybody has has a director of high school football recruitment." Uh, you know, Tom Luganbull over it, uh Cole Kubelik and a whole bunch of other guys. You know, they just spend in addition to all this stuff, they football stuff they do, they spend months and months and months sorting through high school tape. Part right. of this, was to get to your recruitment process. And once again, no offense to Dartmouth, which is a great institution, but when I watch you I, I keep thinking, how in the heck did you manage to not end up at Pitt or Penn State or something like that? So take me through your recruitment process. When did it begin? And which
1: schools were the first schools to really show interest? Yeah, so actually I didn't start playing football until ninth grade. I was a pretty late bloomer, and uh, I was all right my I was terrible my ninth grade year. Tenth grade, I played on JV. My junior year, actually, I where I ended up not starting. There was some stuff there, and uh, I played a little bit of defense at the time, but I wasn't a full-time starter until my senior year, actually, and. Uh, so I think that's why I was under or overlooked by some of the bigger schools. But on Friday before my first game, Dartmouth College was my first offer. And then uh, I, throughout that senior year, I played really well. It was all conference, all everything, and uh, had about 15 or 16 offers, the biggest being Cincinnati. And I was really torn because so I think my final three schools were been like Cincinnati, James Madison, Dartmouth, and Cornell. I had a couple of MAC offers, but uh, I wasn't going to go there. And my parents were both teachers, and they really valued the academic part of it. And they always said, if you're good enough, it's still Division One. You can go play in the NFL. and know it's your dream. And so they kind of were able to. They kind of talked me out of Cincinnati, and then I ended up just choosing Dartmouth over Cornell. That was a pretty easy decision for me. Dartmouth was a program on the up and up, and Cornell hadn't done much for a while. And uh, took my took a couple official visits, and absolutely loved everything about Dartmouth from the campus to the coaches. And then obviously that Ivy education was a pretty good uh, thing to get along the way. And so it was was some great time up there. I ended up having five years. Uh, I redshirt one year, and the year I didn't redshirt, or the four years that I was healthy, our record was 36-4 and with two Ivy titles. So it was a great spot up there for all of us. I loved every second of it.
0: So for every
1: player I've ever run across,
0: there's always a couple of moments that stick out in their mind. So I'm going to talk about one in high school, and then one making the transition to college. If there were like a moment that you could frame, right, look at it until you were 90 from your high school career, what would be the moment from your high school
1: career that you'd want to look at for the rest of your life? Yeah. So I would just say uh, from high school again. I my junior year, my best friend and I were playing or competing for the left tackle spot. He ended up playing at West Virginia. He was a year younger than me. Our coaches went with him. And so that uh, junior year crushed me. I remember going to some camps after my end of my junior year. And I went to a pit camp, and I talked to the offensive line coach from Dartmouth and a couple other schools. And after going against the pit camp and some of the other kids who were, quote, unquote, like big-time Division One guys, I always knew I wanted to play in college, but not starting to my senior year made it a little bit tough. But after finishing up that camp, it just gave me a ton of confidence, and I just knew for sure that. I was definitely a Division One caliber kid, and I'd be playing college football somewhere that next year. And so I'd say for my high school career, that's the moment that would definitely stick out to me the most. Just kind of know that I had the okay. future set for it. Got it. And now let's talk about
0: the, the welcome to college football moment. Now, I've had young men on who've gone to LSU and NAIA schools, you know, Georgia, from the very smallest programs in the country, the very largest, but no matter where it is, that you go, there's always a moment that lets you know sharply, clearly, with no doubt that this is different from high school. (laughs) What was the moment that let you know that this is different? This is something a little, this is not the same animal. This is something, you know, bigger, faster,
1: stronger, more intense, whatever. What was the moment that lets you know that college football is different from what you've been doing before? Yeah, so my freshman year, I looking back, I'd had the opportunity to uh, come in. uh, They're coming on the scout team against a great defensive line. Uh, So we played a three down front, and two of the three defensive linemen ended up going on the NFL for camp and playing a year or two there. And so just being a freshman coming in with my buddies on the scout team, we were charged up with going against two of the best kids in the Ivy League and again, two kids who'd have a decent career in the NFL. And uh, it was like day four or five of camp. Our scout team just got lucky. We scored a touchdown and i remember like again not really knowing who these kids are because i've only been around for four days but i remember just like i said something to uh the defensive tackle who went on to kansas city for a year and it was just like a joking trash talk type thing and he did not take to it very well and uh the very uh, next two plays i didn't get my hands on him once He just like <laughs> swam over me or did this and it was that moment like yep this is a little bit different it's not the same as high school these kids are definitely better and then three or the, at the end of the year you see the two kids that we were messing with ended up one got signed by Seattle the other got signed by Kansas City so I think yeah. that was for me my first introduction but that was a really good freshman year just kind of more to get your feet wet more than get comfortable because you're going against some of the best kids in the country at that point point. and you showed up on campus like what around 250 what did you weigh when you first got there I remember distinctly I was 286 actually Oh, okay. Yeah, you I You picked close
0: full blow, uh, <laughs> For sure. <laughs> okay, all right. Now, was that, are you just a naturally big person or was, were
1: you really hitting the weights hard? Um, I was hitting the weights hard. Coming from my family background, I started lifting in about eighth grade and I played my senior high school football about 275. I actually got pretty sick at the end of my senior year, dropped out to like 260, and I knew I just. I was getting recruited at 275, 280, didn't want to go into college, weighing 20 pounds less than the coach thought it was. So I remember that's uh, summer before my uh, freshman year. I was eating nine or 10,000 calories a day. Every morning I woke up, I would have eight eggs with breakfast. I mean, I was just pounding the food Ooh. and hitting the weight room hard. And so I was able to gain twenty, get those 20 pounds back going into my uh, freshman year.
0: Okay. So as you said, you went to – a program that had definitely sort of hit its stride right around the time you got there. You mentioned that you bonded pretty quickly with some of the guys that that were with you on that scout team. Obviously you got to be close with all of your teammates, but who are the guys to whom you became closest and and why do you think those guys
1: were quote unquote your guys? Yeah. So my freshman year I came in with uh, five other linemen. One of them was a walk-on. So we had six of us in that class and, uh, those six guys are some of my best friends. Uh, we ended up having a really phenomenal offensive line class. I think our coach could never predicted how good we would have turned out. But uh, my senior year, all five of us minus the walk-on were the starting five in the line. So it was a really experienced group. Uh, between the five of us, we had six first-team Ivies and two second-team All-Iveys, an honorable mention. So our class panned out really well. Our left tackle is actually on Carolina right now. And the other couple guys had shots. Didn't pan out for them, but again, they were all Ivy players, and we lived together literally all five years or all four years up at school and really just were never separated. Those four or five guys were best friends, still are my best friends. It was a great time with them. Now, your teammate who did get the, the camp
0: invitation, I know obviously this year is different. Uh, has he told you anything about what the process has been like this year with
1: everything being so up in the air? Yeah, I mean, so I have two buddies who have signed with teams after the draft so far, and then there's me and a couple other guys who are still waiting to hear some stuff. And uh, the two guys who are signed basically haven't done anything. They got their iPads and they like a Zoom one Zoom call, but I think they can't even go on Zoom calls till June 1st anymore with the team. That's like the first our first day rookies are allowed in on like team meetings. So they're really right. just doing nothing at all. They're just working out on their own at home and just kind of waiting. So whenever I end up getting signed, I'm not gonna be behind the eight ball in that respect.
0: Yeah. Now, there's like I said, this this year is different from I've been doing sure. this a long time, and there's been nothing like, at all like this year ever. Uh, so you mentioned that you you come from, you know, we've talked obviously about some of your 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 athletic relatives. Now, obviously, we talked about one in particular. You're but you're not the only athlete, and obviously, you know, uh, your, your great uncle Bruno is not the only athlete in your family. Who are some of the athletes in your family, and and, and how do you think? You know, that's also played
1: into you becoming who you are. Yeah, so going back, my granddad, my papa, uh, Uncle Bruno's brother, was older than a couple years older than Uncle Bruno. He's actually the one that taught Uncle Bruno to start lifting and how to lift. Uncle Bruno graduated high school weighing 98 pounds, and uh, oh. my papa, it was crazy. He was uh, just malnourished kid who was always sick. And my Papa started lifting. He was a little bit older, so he got Uncle Bruno in the weight room and started teaching him just how to go. And Uncle Bruno obviously became an animal, loved it, and just took off. He had a blessing for that. But then my dad and uncle on that side. Uh, my dad played at Division Two Mercyhurst back in the yep. early 90s, late 80s. He uh, graduated. He was a defensive end. At the time graduated, he was actually their all-time sack leader. And uh, my uncle played at Richmond. He was an offensive lineman down there. So football's been in my family ever since. Uh, Uncle Bruno got him into wrestling, and then they switched off. I'm not really sure why they never wrestled either, but uh, it seemed like football was always what they did in high school for their their group, so.
0: Your uncle, your uncle went to Richmond. What was his name? Paul San Martino. Oh, okay. Makes sense. I remember him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. And, yes, um, power seems to be part of your genetics. Um it seems like every single one of the athletes I've seen in your family has always been someone who's been somewhere between above average and very, very strong. Uh, you started lifting fairly early. Tell me about, and obviously you've played college football, which means that you, basically lifting becomes a job practically. I mean, it's, For just, sure. you can't do, it. you can't, you can't play football, but especially not where you played football, how you played football without lifting. Tell me about, uh, your personal approach in terms of the weight room and your, your numbers, you know, your, your personal records or things you're most proud of.
1: Yeah. So I am like a lot of my friends. I've always loved the weight room a lot. Like in high school, I was, I get home from school, go to the gym for two hours. Like that was my whole thing. And even in college, I definitely liked lifting more than everyone else on the team. It's always just been a thing that I was brought up on and really enjoyed. And so I was one of those strongest kids on our team for sure. I think my squat best was like 6'10". I benched four <laughs> and a quarter. So I had some good numbers there for sure. Yes. Yes, you could
0: say that. Um, now, were you, were you also a power clean guy? Did, or what other list did you did you
1: get into? So in high school, I power clean. When we went to school, we switched over to a hang clean. And uh, my freshman year, I actually tore my labrum. And so I played through it the whole time. I retired my sophomore year, and then after that, I wasn't allowed to hang clean over 315 ever. So I would just do 315 for some reps whenever I was hang cleaning. But that was my only, like, physical limitation with lifting and whatnot.
0: Got it. Got it. Well, and once again, I mean, I don't think people understand how much time a college athlete spends on everything that goes into playing. Like not just the people, I think people realize, oh yeah, you you know, play football. I don't even realize how much time you have to spend on everything that goes into playing it. Um, Now you never had a serious injury it looks like, but I'm sure you had injuries. Tell me a little bit about how you dealt with that. Even even if things were considered quote unquote minor, uh, how you dealt with them and, and were there things that helped you to come back?
1: Yeah, just a lot of tape. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Just tape it up and get going. That was a pretty tough <laughs> guy with that mindset. I had the I had the uh, labrum surgery, so that kept me out that sophomore year. And then just a sprained ankle here and there, just the typical stuff you get playing football. But there's always enough tape to fix it. So just get taped up and go right. back out and just kind of tough it out. Yeah, I, I shouldn't say that a torn labrum
0: isn't a, isn't a major injury. I mean, I just mean it's not
1: career-threatening.
0: No, to no
1: It was, it was uh, fine. I mean, just got it fixed with some PT, and I was back and never had any issues since. Got it. And for, from the looks of it, you probably are
0: stronger than you've ever been in your life, uh, from the looks of you. For sure. For sure. Now, what approximately what, do what no you, you weigh now? Uh, I am about 315. Okay. You carry it well. Uh, I um, you carry it well you are are one of the more compact uh tight three fifteens i've ever <laughs> seen in my life uh, and you are six foot three
1: how tall are you six, now? six four flat I measured in it oh
0: okay you are both you are you i would never I, you are taller than I would have guessed. And, um, and once again, heavier. So you're both taller and heavier than I would have guessed, uh, which is, I think, a testament to how you move,
1: because you move like a smaller person. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole goal throughout lifting, I remember whenever I was getting recruited, I was weighing 275 or so. I'd go to visit, and the coach asked me, how much do you weigh? He guessed like 240 or 250. And uh, I think that's cool. always been something I've been kind of proud of, is even though I weigh just as much as everyone else, pretty much in the NFL, I don't think I would look at. So I think the whole goal mine's always never been like a fat slop. it's always been to carry the weight as good as possible. Yeah, you no, know, you
0: carry your weight ex- extremely well. Uh, I, if I were just being asked to guess your your body fat percentage,
1: my guess is probably you're probably what fourteen ish. I have I actually have not had it measured out in a while. I mean, I think the last time I had it tested was my freshman year of college, and I was like a seventeen.
0: Yeah, we are less than that
1: now. <laughs> I, I feel pretty confident. <laughs> so I would I would
0: I would wager a significant amount that you are somewhere 15 or less, probably right now. I'll take it. Now, there's a lot that you can't control. Obviously, you can't control who brings you in, if they bring you in, whatever. But you obviously are still working hard. For those who don't know, uh what you're doing now and obviously that's a big question mark of what do you do now but what are you doing now as you wait for the call from whoever
1: yeah so we actually for the first little bit of quarantine i was doing a lot of band work a lot of running a lot of uh, body weight stuff but about a month ago we found out my dad's close buddies actually from back in when he was in high school he built his own weight set so he has a whole squat rack he has a whole bench Two sets of Olympic weights, two barbells. So we actually moved that down to our garage about a month ago. And so I've been hitting that every day, just staying in shape due to my running, just waiting for that call. So it's been pretty easy to stay in shape during quarantine, I gotta say. Okay. And are
0: you a big social media person? Or are you a person
1: who's all over Instagram and you know yeah, Twitter? And... not a huge guy, but I definitely use it I'm on there. I check it every day for sure. Okay. Got it. And is,
0: have you ever, I know there's people out there, like like there's Duke Mannyweather and there's, are you a person that follows some of the, the, I think Ross Cooper and a few other, you know, guys who, who work with offensive linemen. Do you follow any of those guys? You look at them? Yeah, I do. Okay.
1: Yeah, I do. Have you ever felt like you learned something from any of that? Uh, when I was younger, I would say for sure. It's uh just some pulling technique, just some steps, footwork stuff going into college. I think it was really helpful for me. I've enjoyed the videos okay. a lot; they've been great. Okay, uh, so who would you say are your your favorite
0: football players to watch? And they don't have to be offensive linemen. I mean, who are your guys that you like to watch when you turn on
1: television? Yeah, I mean, just being from Pittsburgh and playing offensive line, just the whole Steelers offensive line has been pretty great the last few years. DeCastro uh, is a fun guy to watch, and then back in school our coach in every camp in high school or in college always put on the Quentin Nelson tape and Joe Thomas tape and so just each get, get interior lineman get a tackle and just watch some of their stuff so it's been crazy to see just what they can do and how they do it and so it's been some really good uh videos good teach tape we've seen and then uh the Watt brothers I like a lot TJ and JJ they've been uh being in Pittsburgh and just kind of seeing some of the stuff TJ's done lately it's been really impressive and then obviously JJ back then so I would say I'm big uh both offensive and defensive line guy for my favorite players. Got it. And that makes sense.
0: What is it, you think, personality-wise that makes a difference between – because almost every great offensive lineman, I feel like, could have also been a great defensive lineman. And sometimes it goes the other way. I <laughs> do um, so, personality-wise. Or, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a wiring difference. I guess is For how you sure. explain it in general between the two, even though they're physically often similar, especially like D-tackles and interior offensive linemen, you know, if you just saw them walking around and you couldn't sort of talk to them, you might have tell them apart until you see how they sort of relate to each other, work together, you know, think through problems and things like that. If you're going to explain to somebody personality-wise, what makes someone an offensive lineman versus a defensive lineman
1: in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think what makes a offensive lineman great is they actually have a similar personality to a defensive lineman. I think there's this general myth that uh defensive linemen, especially are just like kind of meaner, nastier guys and the offensive lineman is more like big, happy people. And I think <laughs> if you're a great offensive lineman that uh, I think offensive linemen generally are just like friendlier people, but I think once you're on the field, if you can have that mindset where you're just nasty and trying to kill everyone in front of you, you're going to do really well wherever you're at. So I think that's the biggest one is at least on our team, our offensive linemen were really close. We were happy guys. We were we were just fun to be around. And but when we were on the field, all of us were able to switch it over really quickly and just ended up killing everyone in front of us. I mean, you like said my last two years we were like fewest sacks in the country, most rushing yards in the Ivy League. We were a heavy running team and just because our offensive linemen was really nasty guys up front on the in the game. But when the game was over, we were all just like nice guys. Everyone loved us. I mean people kind of joke about whenever they saw It's Like, I can't believe that was you guys. Like, we know you. You guys are such nice people. How can you do that? And we're like, yeah, we just flipped that switch and we're able to do it easily. So I think that's the biggest difference is just kind of defensive linemen seem to have just a more nasty mindset generally, whereas offensive linemen people kind of think are just nicer guys until they're on the field.
0: Yeah. So a friend of mine once put it in, and I hope this doesn't come across as insulting. Someone said <laughs> guard dog versus attack dog is how um, so a friend of mine who's actually a football coach once explained it. He said, sure. when I, when I'm looking for the person that I, because once again, you know, with high school, a lot of guys play both ways. But yeah. when coaches come to look at high school guys, they always ask the coach, is this guy, you know, which one is, is he? Like, I mean, I know he does both now, but which one do you think he'll be when I have to get him onto my campus in college? And that's what he always explains. He says, you know, you know, my I look for the guard, the guard dog mentality in my offensive line. I look for the attack dog mentality in defense line. Um, and I think that's an interesting way to, to put it, because a guard dog isn't necessarily a friendly dog either. You know, right. like that's, right? that's not always – you don't want to always be around a guard dog either. That, that can be bad for you too. But it's for a sure. different mindset because you're not always just attacking, right? You're,
1: right? You have to be more controlled in your approach. Yeah, I mean, you've gotta you got to know what you're doing. You can't just be out of control and reckless going for it. But I think at the same time, if in the, especially in the run game, if you can switch over to attack dog, that you're going to be really uh, successful. And I think for me that's a big reason why I had as many pancakes and knockdowns as I did is in the run game. My only goal was to move this man from point A to B and just put him on his back. Yes. Um,
0: there's a game I'm thinking of. It may have been Penn. Don't quote me. I have to go back and look, but there's a game where there's some poor young man. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to put up. I don't want to put him on blast or anything, but I could tell by about halfway through the third quarter, he'd had enough of playing against you. Mm-hmm. He really and, was yeah. not enjoying this. Like he was this. He he could. It seemed like he could think of other ways to be spending his time. Yeah, um, you may he, be,
1: that guy was uh, actually a uh, all IV first or first team all IV defensive tackle for our league.
0: Yeah, well. I'm not saying he's not a good player. I'm saying he did not have a good day against Zach Martino. Um, For sure. I mean, not just on tape, but like I could tell like even internally within himself there was like some frustration, there was some maybe even some self doubt creeping in. I don't know. Was, I don't want to cycle that But you could tell, like he, his body language as you got later in the game was not great. You know, like it was a right. it was a you know just a sense of like this man, this sucks, you know? <laughs> um, and yeah, I think we I think we are thinking of the same player then, but yeah, he I can definitely tell his zest for, for the game was not at the end of the game was not what it was at the beginning of the game, I'll put it that way.
1: Yeah, that was a fun game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and once again, I've I've never I mean, I'm a small person, I've I've only played defensive back, except when I was a little, little kid and they didn't care about what size you were and let you play whatever position you seemed to be good at. I played a little defensive when I was a little, little kid, but by about eight, it was clear to me that my, I, was, I would not be playing any sort of line ever again. Uh, <laughs> tell me about the mindset that... I've had people explain it to me that when you... And of course, when I wrestled, I got a few chances to sort of see this up close because just, there's something that happens when you can see the other person's will sort of submit to yours, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can say that they're like, they, it, it hits them that you are better. Right? For sure. Um, if, for someone who's never had that experience, and most of us, frankly, Zach, if not, what is it like, how does it feel when you actually can see in another man's eyes, oh, man, God, you're good. I, oh, <laughs> man, you know, like, I, like this, this is not going to work for me. Um, what is that like, and... And, and then also, tell me about the
1: first time you actually saw that happen. Yeah, I mean, when it's like that, it's uh, it's open season. They just kind of give up. They're not coming off the ball as hard. It's, uh, it's game over for them. They're done. They're not going to be a factor anymore. It's a great feeling because you know the rest of the game, you're going to have your will with them. You're going to do whatever you want to them. I mean, it happened in high school for me a lot, just being so much better than everyone else. But I'd say the first time it happened in college was uh, my first year starting. Who did we play. We played our season opener against Holy Cross. Right or no, my fault. We played against Georgetown. And they played a three-three stack. And I was we were a big power team that year. And so I was doing a lot of down blocks on the nose. And uh, the center would block away. I'd go down block on the nose, and it was just pancake after pancake. And uh, by about the start of the second quarter, the score was already twenty eight nothing. And you could tell none of them wanted to be there, and you could just tell those specifically that Nose Guard had no desire to keep uh to keep fighting the power because we were running power from both sides, and so each play he didn't know if it was me the left or right guard down blocking on him, and uh, it was just great. You kept him guessing, and he ended up just not coming off the ball anymore. He would just like let's squat down, just hope not to get moved too far. And so really, I want to say it makes the game easier because once you get that feeling, it's your mindset switches. Like I'm gonna drive my legs harder. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. I need to make sure this kid ends up on his back every chance I get. And so I would say that was the first time I really uh, saw that in the college level. Yeah, yeah.
0: I like I said, there's a couple of your games where I could just tell that. Yeah, it was a like I said, it was it was a game that would not they would not put on their highlight reel. I could, like, like us clip that one out. Like, let's take that one off. Um, so I want to spend a little time on this. If if you could pick a particular play from your college career. That you could show to every single offensive line coach in the NFL and every single scout and every single GM, what play
1: would you pull? You say, watch this play. Oh, I got two plays in my mind. The uh, One's from the Penn game this year and one's from the uh, Cornell game this year. So against Penn, uh, it was fourth and one from our own 50. And uh, they had a guy opposite, lined up as a shade opposite away from me on the nose. And we just ran uh, inside zone left. And uh, I knew this kid was going to be slanting to the opposite A-gap towards me, just by the way the way he was lined up here. I mean, he put his hand down, in this case, in the one time. And uh, he took two steps, and I came down, and I just buckled him. He went straight backwards. It was just like uh, running through. It was like I was running through paper. I mean, I just went through and just put him on his back instantly, and we ran off right behind me for that first. And then the other play was in our uh, second series against Cornell. Uh, we were doing inside zone left again, actually, and I was on a shade on my side. And they had a 310-pound nose tackle, and uh, I drove them five yards back. I ended up getting them off, both feet off the ground, and I just tipped them for one of the more violent blocks of my career. Um, now, you don't seem like a big-time talker.
0: Or maybe I just can't see that, but I'm watching Jake um do you ever get in a guy's ear and say a little something to him like you know man that looked like that hurt or I mean do you if you talk trash um what (laughs) kind of stuff do you say and you know is that a part of your game
1: yeah I mean for most of the part my scene my last two seasons i talked a decent amount after plays again we were such a heavy run team and we probably run the ball 70 percent of the time and especially that true senior year with our offensive line we had that Every one of the offensive line was better than everyone on the defensive line almost every single game, and that just makes it a lot of fun. So I mean, I like our offensive line. We were kind of funny. We we're actually like nicer trash talkers. Like we weren't swearing. We weren't that nasty. To the kids we were saying like, "That sucked for you, buddy," and so just kind of stuff like that. I think we did like nothing big, but just a little demoralizing comments here and there.
0: Yeah, that sounds like Ivy League trash talk. You know, right? Exactly. It's not. It's not, it's not too not too you know not too insulting not too not too personal not bringing up people's mothers stuff like that but it sounds yeah just sort of almost almost sympathetic right Almost like
1: wow damn, ooh. yeah like, i mean we oh, had, st- we, had stuff. we had stuff we had a kid on our team on the scout team who's uh his sole job for that week aside from getting the defense ready was a first freshman year every wednesday he would come back with a, like a two-page type document on every single one of the front seven players and uh some of their personal background stuff. So we very we very rarely went that far and used it because some of the stuff we brought up was just shouldn't have been talked about. But uh, we were prepared for everything with that, so it was a fun year for us. <laughs> now that that also sounds very Ivy League, like having a spreadsheet <laughs> or something
0: in case you have to. In case you do have to delve deeply when you're you're when you're uh, really into to a guy. Okay, perfect. Um. You mentioned inside zone, outside zone, and power. Um, and, of course, you're an offensive lineman and an interior offensive lineman. It makes sense that your favorite uh, – it sounds like your favorite plays are running plays and running plays where you get to, you know, get out and move a little bit. Uh, tell me about that. Tell me what, what are your actual favorite play calls and, and why.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, my I said I had a senior year, then I had a fifth year. My uh, senior year, we were a really heavy power team. Either I was down blocking, doubling with the tackle, or pulling around for the uh, play side linebacker. Eighty percent of the time, we we ran a play. And then my uh, fifth year, we became we had an uh, inexperienced offensive line. I was the only returning starter, and our coach transitioned more to inside outside zone. And so I think I did. I think I thrived in both those offenses honestly. And uh, I mean, I enjoyed the power a lot. It was a little bit more physical is more right up in your face style of offense, but either one worked for me. And then when we did pass, we uh, really good pass pro. I think my senior year, we allowed three sacks all season, uh, and two of them were in the last game with the uh, backups in. So I think no matter what we ran, it was just really successful for us. I actually never allowed a a sack in over 1,200 career offensive snaps. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I noticed and you didn't seem to even come very close
0: to giving up the sack. <laughs> like, no. like, it's what they say, because sometimes you did give up the sack because the quarterback, you know, was able to dodge a guy, got the ball out. Or, but it seems like no one even came very close. And I have to go back and double check. I, I, I didn't see every game, but I saw about six games from your most recent season, And I didn't see anyone get very close, as
1: far as I could tell.
0: <laughs> like, it wasn't like somebody was, like, just missed, you know. Got a, did you give up any pressures even?
1: No, I'm trying to three, think right. throughout my career. I I think I can recall maybe one QB hit. I know I gave up. I think that's it. Oh, okay, that's
0: pretty decent.
1: <laughs>
0: that's, pretty, that's pretty. good. Um sure. That's a crazy. That's a crazy number, but I, I mean, obviously, you didn't play. You know, you didn't start immediately and play all four years or something, but. Still, that that's just that number is nuts. But maybe like one hurry in your entire career is just. I don't, I don't know what to say to that. Like, there's nothing else to say, right?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, good timing, I guess. Good, good. Uh, yeah, and then, good run pass calls. Yeah.
0: Right, right, and and the fact that you are basically, you, you've got a Big Ten offensive lineman body in in the Ivy League, and I'm not going to put the Ivy League down, but you know, let's be honest, most guys don't look like you. I mean, I'm not sure <laughs> what you mean, but you just don't look like most of the guys. I mean, it, I'm, this is a – I don't want to make it so – people take the idea that I'm saying, like, it's a bunch of plumbers or something. No, you're, there's a lot of good players in the Ivy League, and three or four of the guys that you played against are going to be in the NFL for a while. Yeah, of But course. just physically, you are different from most of the guys I scouted in your league. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, definitely. You would not look out of place if I just dropped you into an offensive line meeting at Ohio State. Definitely not. And I, I understand, and your parents were right to urge you to go to Dartmouth. But I can't help but wonder what, and of course, I mean, I can do this because I don't have to live with the decision. But I do, I do help but wonder what you would have, what things would have happened if you'd gone to school like Cincinnati. Obviously, very different uh, in a lot of ways, different place. Uh, different focus, different – of course, also not quite as stable. I mean, coaches come and go. and They're, they're was in a program on the rise, too. Like, it's nice, you know, the arrow was headed up. And For sure. they run a very, very different kind of offense, obviously, as well. They don't – they're not just trying to beat everyone with submission the way you guys seem to like to. <laughs> um, do you ever wonder about that? Do ever – in the back of your mind, do you
1: ever play what if or do you just keep that out of your head? No, you can't not play what if. I mean, I can go back to high school and, like, hey, if I was a two year starter, not just a one year starter, like, where would I be? Oh. And well, so I, I, think said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think but, the answer to yeah. that is pitch. <laughs> um, um, I think the answer
0: to that is um, I just can't imagine they would have missed you if you, would, if you had two years
1: worth of high school tape.
0: If yeah. so, someone
1: should be fired. Yeah, I mean, you always wonder that. You're never going to not wonder that, but. At the end of the day, everything worked out more than well at Dartmouth. It was a great time, and I have no regrets with going there whatsoever.
0: Okay. No, I mean, imagine not.
1: Uh, and I have to talk academics. You're at a, you know,
0: one of America's top 10 to 15 <laughs> academic institutions almost every year. I mean, I remember one year Dartmouth was number... U.S. News and World Report Dartmouth. It may not be number one, but it was in the top three or four a few yeah. years back. Yeah. Uh, tell people about what it's like forget the football for a moment though obviously football makes it even more challenging but tell me what it's like just to be a college student at
1: Dartmouth and about your studies and your major yeah I think honestly I felt victim of this going into it whenever I was about to commit to schools I was uh there I had some big hesitations I was a good student in high school I had a 3.8 GPA again parents were teachers but uh I never in my life thought I was an Ivy League guy, ever. I mean, I remember when I got the offer from Dartmouth, I'm like, hey, Dad, Dartmouth just offered me, but I'm not an Ivy League guy. And you just remember him telling me, it's just, go along with it, it's funny how God plays out. And so I we went along with it, and there you know I'm at Dartmouth. And I was terrified at first. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm not an Ivy League student, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I honestly think the hardest part of these schools are just getting into them. I mean, I've seen some yeah. of my other friends in college and whatnot, and yeah, our stuff's a little bit more rigorous, so It was a little bit tougher, a little bit more homework, a little bit more just everything, harder tests. But overall, I mean, you put in a couple hours of work a day and you'll be set. It wasn't that bad. We had study hall at night from uh, after football. We had to be at the library at eight your freshman year. And so I think just kind of getting that little pattern inst- or instilled into your body and your routine just helps out a lot. And I think we have – Dartmouth actually has the highest graduation rate for, of any football team in the entire country. And uh, so, yeah, I don't think it was as bad as I thought it would be. And you just kind of figure out and you kind of adapt and improvise, just go with it.
0: Okay. And you're majoring in, or majored, sorry, right? You're not I, was majoring actually,
1: in I was actually a religion major. I wanted to go in doing economics, and that was where I really felt the Ivy League aspect of it. And quite honestly, <laughs> it just wasn't, at Dartmouth and the, the Ivy League uh, setting with football, I could not have really gotten through with, like, a decent GPA. at a graduate with, like, a 2.5. If I stuck in economics. So I ended up moving over to religion. It's basically just our history. It wasn't, like, to become, like, a minister or a priest or anything like that. It was just much more history-based. And so I was essentially a history, religion major. I was just doing a lot of writing, and I enjoyed it. It was a great, uh, great set of classes. Got it.
0: So it sounds almost more like what we would call, where I went to school, comparative or comp religion, where you're learning about religious figures and what religion, what part religion played in the development of certain societies
1: and, exactly, you know, warring yeah. factions and all that good stuff and the Medici popes and all that fun stuff. Exactly, yeah. That type of stuff was a big writing major, so I was doing, I'd have finals where I'd have three 15-page papers due in a week.
0: Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm familiar with that. I, was, I, was, <laughs> I, I had a double major in um, English and uh, in theater. So okay. I would have, like, rehearsals and stuff and then, you know, have to go to English, my advanced composition class and, there and she had the And at like, massive amounts of writing. So right. I'm all too familiar with that. All too <laughs> familiar. Uh, what, was your, what was your favorite class? Or if you had more than one, you can give me a couple, but uh, what were the classes you
1: enjoyed most and why? Uh, This was a pretty easy one. There was an easy favorite. It's called uh, Sports, Ethics, and Religion. It was with my uh, favorite professor. Uh, He was a pretty cool guy. He was big into sports as well. And so he actually taught a class with how sports is incorporated into, like, religion and whatnot, and, there were some pretty big stretches he made, but it was enjoyable overall. It was a fun class. He talked about, like, touchdown Jesus at Notre Dame. He talked about how, like, <laughs> football was formed off, like, a battlefield, which was formed off another thing. And uh, it was a cool class yeah. overall, though. He made some, like, he drew some lines, like, between the Bible and sports and numbers.
0: Huh.
1: But it, was a, it was a lot of and fun. And they talked about the, the, the 19th century concept
0: of muscular Christianity. I'm assuming they talked about that. Yep, he did. Okay. Yeah, I would figure as much. Um, now, are you familiar with a man named Richard Lapchick at all?
1: It doesn't ring a bell, i got to say. Okay. No,
0: problem. Well, no, just if, you're, if that kind of thing interests you, I just recommend you look into the, his foundation and the work that he does. Uh, he has – and there's others that have gotten into sort of – I guess the term sports ethicist. <laughs> I guess is how you might describe him. Um, gotcha. He's a person that started looking at the role of sports in society back in the 60s. Uh, and his, he's passed away, but his son, no, sorry, Joseph, Joseph founded it. His son Richard is still alive. I swapped the fathers and the sons' names. But, um, but yeah, the Laptic Foundation is fascinating. And I've had friends who've worked for them in the past, and they do some really it's hard to even describe some of the stuff we do, but it, it, really much, it very much examines, as you sort of talked about, from the uh, sociological aspects of sports. Um, and sports has done some good. Like, you know, we have there been things that, that haven't always been great? Sure. But for the most, I mean, sports has helped to integrate our society. It's one of the things that's helped um, immigrants, right, to become for part sure. of our society, you know, especially ones that – you know, got good. But even the ones that weren't really good, just it was part of becoming an American. You know, that we've. Always, if you see old war movies, there's always the scene where, you know, the, the use as a countersign something about baseball, you know. Um, right. Um, or whatever it is, right? You know, World War II movies, it's like, you know, um, yeah. and then there's the, you know, all these little scenes, all these little things throughout our, our culture that happen. I mean, even in business, right? I think of how many sales meetings i've been in where somebody talks about a hail mary or someone talks about who's quarterbacking this project and all this i mean you couldn't have our culture without sports <laughs> when it comes to life, like our culture could not exist as we know it without sports americans and not just americans but because this, you know trust me you've now
1: like your family obviously is is italian have you ever been to your old country have you ever been to italy we did. So when I was in eighth grade, our whole family, grandparents, aunt, uncle, my parents, we all went back for about two weeks. Oh, okay. Now, do you know what, what part of the country your family's from? So in the mountains of Abruzzi, there's a little town called Pizzo Ferrato.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Maybe not maybe a thousand it. people. It's just up in the mountains, really in the country, middle of nowhere in Italy. Uh, central Italy, but yep. it was a really cool little town. I enjoyed the trip a lot. We also checked out uh, Rome, Venice, some other big cities down there. Right. Well, that's why your family's so tough, right? Because
0: I, I, I'm picturing in my mind what you're talking about, and it sounds like they've got a place where everything's difficult. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Right? Just getting from here to there is difficult. You know, I'm picturing a place where there's goats. Would that be an accurate description?
1: Yeah, it would. I mean, have, yeah, tough is an understatement for what they came through during World War II to get over to America. It was a really impressive story.
0: Yeah, I'm imagining it would be. And that's, I mean, obviously, you're you 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 you're a bright young man. You've studied a little bit. Italy has one of the most fascinating, confusing, blood-drenched histories. I mean, you it in a <laughs> lot of countries, I guess, but, like, Just to hold Italy together, which is not that big, I mean obviously you, you grew up in the United States It's stuff, but think of how many different parts of Italy have tried to i mean Rome obviously at one point you really? know had something like thirty some odd percent of the livable land surface of the world you know uh, under their under their 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 empire, or at least touching upon their empire uh so but I mean, just you know, all the different city states and the just crazy things that would happen, and you know, and just poisonings and assassinations and I mean, just crazy stuff. And then, uh, you know, the uh, one city state would rise, and something would happen to pull it down. Another city state would rise, and then you know something would happen to pull it down. And you know the you know the Borgias and the Medici's and the you know all of this stuff. But yeah, I mean, like if you're a fan of history. Italy is a great country to study because Definitely everything happened in diet history. So many of the greatest thinkers in the world, once again, religion, right? You come from, from study religions. How many, yeah. many great religious thinkers have come from Italy? And For then sure. great people in the world of economics and politics and poets and painters and architects and, you know, athletes. They've had some athletes obviously as well. Uh, of course the big sport there obviously is what, what they call football, what we would call soccer. Did you ever get any just little games? I know you played growing up. Did you ever, when you were over there as a kid, did you get getting like little pickup games of soccer while you were over there?
1: No, we did not actually. We were uh, pretty much just our family. Not a lot of uh, like, just not a lot of time with like the locals aside from their hometown. And we were actually playing a lot of bocce when we were there. Ah, bocce ball. So, the other <laughs>
0: Right. So tell me about it. What was your experience
1: like playing, being exposed to and playing bocce ball? Yeah, it was cool. I had, so I have, apparently, I have like distant cousins over there that still live in their hometown. And so we spent, we stayed at their okay. place uh, playing with them. It was just a fun time. It was a great trip all around. I mean, I played bocce back home. We have a couple of sets here, so I've been playing my whole life. But yeah, it was really right. fun just to go over there and uh, get that experience.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, as, you, once again, you know this, Chicago has a couple of bocce ball leagues, but Pittsburgh has a bunch. <laughs> yeah, um, everywhere. Probably probably more than, I mean, maybe New York might be a, able to compete, but I don't know if even New York City as big as it is can compete in terms of the amount of competitive bocce ball. Um, not just, like, people just having fun, but, like, competitive bocce ball. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, I do. <laughs> Okay. Um, so I just want to, want to start moving back towards your, your, your present and hopefully your future. So you go into this final season, right? You had the redshirt year, which is unusual. Um, as you know, a lot of, some Ivy League schools don't even allow redshirts. So tell me about your team um, and the approach to redshirting, because it's something that, like I said, there are even some Ivy League schools that don't even, don't even it's not even part of their process. Um, yeah. how was the decision made for you to redshirt and and what do you think it did for you
1: yeah, so the ivy league only allows medical redshirts you can't just redshirt tricks you want an extra year with you so unless you have nice. a uh, injury you're not allowed to do it but uh my, i think my redshirt year was really beneficial i mean my sophomore year so i came or I came in my freshman year i learned the offense didn't master it and then my sophomore year just kind of taking a step back in my body back to normal and uh being in the meeting rooms and not being tired from practice or whatnot, really just gave me an opportunity to uh, really just master the playbook and know it inside and out really thoroughly. And I think just coming back then from my junior year, that, uh, that was a huge benefit for me that I honestly think I knew the playbook better than any offensive lineman on our team. I knew we were doing, I knew all the calls the best. I understood everything. I think a lot deeper because of that redshirt year.
0: Okay. Got it. And so – what were some of the goals that you had going into that final year your your you know your last stanza that you just completed uh tell me about the goals that you'd set and whether they were personal whether they were professional not professional sorry team <laughs> uh, team goals personal goals what was tell me about that
1: process and and what things did you want to get accomplished yeah, so we won the Ivy title my freshman year uh registered. Then my sophomore year, we went eight and two. We were finished a game behind the champions. My junior year, we went nine and one. We lost the nail biter to Princeton, 14 to nine. We were both top 10 teams. Princeton ended up going undefeated. We were nine and one. So we were again just one game away from winning the title. And uh, that really stung because we were the best team in the league over the last five years. We only had one title at the time. So I think our team goes obviously to finish what we started. Let's put a good end to this and win the title, which we ended up doing. We went nine and one. We won the Ivy championship to get our second ring. And then, as me personally, I always knew I wanted to play in the NFL. And I knew after the season before that, I had a shot at it. And so, obviously, I need to be first team all Ivy. I need to be first team all New England, which had the guys from FBS schools, too. And I uh, achieved both of those and just was a real leader on the team that year. It was a really great year all around for all of us.
0: Okay. Got it. And... As you come down into the pounding down the home stretch, both academically and athletically, there's opportunities. Uh, We're always going to talk a little bit about how different this year was from all the other years, but in terms of during the season, you must have started to hear that you might have the opportunity to play at some all-star games and things like that. How did you navigate that part of it? How did you decide what you
1: might want to do postseason in terms of all-star game opportunity? Yeah, so... I got invited to a couple of them. I remember asking my uh, our pro liaison, our defensive line coach, and, like, hey, I got invited to the Dream Bowl, the College on Showcase, the FCS Bowl. Like, what do I do? And he goes, do you have to pay for any of them? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I don't think you should go. He's like, I don't advise if you have to pay for any of these games to go. I'm like, oh, all right. So I turned all these places down. And then as I was searching for an agent, all the agents asked about, like, so what's your postseason game status? And I'm like, oh, I turned down the College of Iron Showcase. And they're like, you did what? And I'm like, yeah, our pro told me not to go. He's like, no, you need to go to that. And so every agent I talked to told me that. And so I ended up calling the guy who invited me to the big showcase. And uh, he's a Pittsburgh guy as well. And I'm like, hey, I got some bad information, like, back in September and October. Is there any chance this this was, like, december 15th or so like two weeks before it started i'm like is there any chance you guys have spot open that I can like re- or accept my invitation and they're like nah, man we're sorry the main school showcase is uh full What we can do this we can invite you to the small school showcase so you come down here for two days and if you play well enough the scouts can invite you back up to the main showcase and i'm like yep i'll take that and i jumped on that opportunity and i went down to texas i played two days in the small school showcase uh Played really well, caught the attention of all the scouts, and they moved me up to the main showcase for the next three days. And so that was my only uh, postseason game we did, but it was a really great opportunity. I think the CGS is going to take off soon. It uh, had about one hundred sixty scouts from all thirty-two teams there for the three-day showcase, and so it gave you the opportunity okay. to interview with a bunch of different teams and just get your that scouts see you act in person, and they also put me up against some bigger uh, competitions, some more Power Five guys, and whatnot, coming from the smaller FCS level. Okay. And what was that like, uh, that
0: experience of seeing, you know, some of those guys that you might not have had a chance to to see in your
1: collegiate career? It was good. I uh, played really well. I started out playing guard, and then the scouts were like, you're an Ivy League guy. Uh, you're 6'4", 3'15", like, why aren't you playing center? Like, you're now playing center the rest of the time here. So my last two days, I played exclusively center. And so I played really well there. I think it really just showed them my uh, versatility and the ability to play all three in zero positions, which will definitely help me going forward.
0: Exactly.
1: So let's spend a little time on
0: that because people sort of lump left guard, right guard, center together, right? If you can play one, you can play all. Yeah. Well, it sounds easy, but I don't even realize how different those things are. Um, so let's talk about What's your what's your favorite uh, run play? Like you had to pick just one. What's your favorite? Uh, power. Power. Of course it is because it's brutal. Okay, so um, <laughs> explain to someone who has never played interior offensive line, any of those positions, how different on a power play playing right guard, left guard, or center is from each other. And so we'll start. Let's start with left guard and work our way across. So if you're yeah, playing so, left guard on power, what are you asked to do versus
1: in the other two positions? If we're running power right, the left guard's going to have to pull around. Then to have to get out in space and go block a linebacker on the second level who's a little bit quicker, more athletic than you. So you've got to be able to come in, through, come in fast and controlled and uh, get your head and turn the guy inside out. Got it. Okay. And when you're playing center? Um, depending on the front, if you're in a three down front uh, with no overhang, the center and the place and the right guard are going to double team to the backside backer. And if it's a four down front, the uh, center's going to have to back block uh, two gaps away to the three technique and uh, make sure there's an any penetration so the play gets off smoothly. That sounds incredibly difficult. <laughs> 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 but,
0: I mean, maybe it's just me. And like I said, this is, I'll be honest, I've been around football almost my entire life. Obviously, like I said, I've only played a little bit of defensive line as was a very small child and it was you know, would you know there isn't much going on schematically, I'll put it that For way. Sure. Um, so by the time any sort of game planning or, you know, uh you know, uh, playbooks were involved by that by the time I got to that age, I was playing, you know, wide receiver, defensive back, and stuff like that. So I always would watch, you know, the drills and practices when big guys are doing stuff. And it was always amazing to me, the things that guys are asked to do. That's like, a really difficult block to make if you're a center, so you have to snap the ball, and then you're saying against a four-man front, against an even front, you've got to go out and get to the three-tech who doesn't want you to get him. I mean, I think that's the part you have to understand,
1: He's not standing there waiting for you to block it.
0: How in the heck
1: did someone make that block? Flat and fast. You got to get back there and got to collision him right away. to take away all his momentum. That's all you got to do, get there, snap down, and go. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, And then last but not least, um, let's go to the other guard position. So if you're on the right side in that same play call, what is it you're asked to do? Yeah, so on an even front, that uh, right guard and right tackle are going to double the three technique or the two eye to the uh, backside linebacker. And if you're in an odd front, that right guard has a, a down block on the nose guard one on one. Got it. It's a great physical. Now,
0: <laughs> right now, as we've talked about, you are versatile. You can play all three positions. And I think you may even hold up a right tackle in a you know, like an actual emergency. But of the three positions you actually are being expected or evaluated to play, which one has been the one you've enjoyed playing the most and why?
1: Honestly, I can't really answer that. I mean, I've, I feel equally comfortable with all three of them. I have no real uh, favorite on any of them. I mean, I'll go wherever. I played guard in college, but then again, I went down to Texas, played center against the bigger school guys. So wherever, man, I'll take it. Okay. Well, I could
0: definitely see you, uh, man, you'd be a monster. I mean, I, I always thought he was a guard, particularly a left guard. I always thought that was, you know, sort of what you what you are. But right. if you as a center, jeez. I mean, <laughs> man, you could do some fun stuff. Um, you know, you, you could do some, some Pounty Brothers stuff with you as a, as a center. Because <laughs> they asked the Pounties, both of them, but particularly, obviously, the, the good – this is a good one, the best one. Um, to do, he's asked to do some crazy things. That's one thing. That right. Pittsburgh Center is almost kind of old. So I'm going back to Mike Western. They pull. They ask their center to do more things, just things that seem impossible, and they get them done. somehow. Um, some of the blocks. When you look at them, if you go back and you look at the all 22. It's like how, what, why would you even think of asking your center to make that block, and then he does <laughs> Oh, okay. Way okay, to go, Marquis Pound. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> Way to, go. Way to go, Mike Webster. Way to go, Damani Dawson.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: something in the water, right? I would love to, well, once again, I'd love to see you. If, you. if you do end up playing center, I'd love to see you do it in Pittsburgh. Now, I know you'd play for anybody, any place on the planet, right? I know you would. If, you probably would play for someone off the planet. If they decided to start a football team on the moon, I know you would probably go. I for sure. That. But if for some reason you did get the call from the Steelers, would that be different for you? And if so, you know, how do you think that would feel different for you if you got to play for your hometown team?
1: I think it would be more different for my family, honestly. I still have a lot of family in Pittsburgh. I mean, I'd be as happy going to, any, like I said, any corner of the country for football. I'll be the exact same level of, like, ecstatic excitement. But uh, I think for my family, it would be different because they already had season tickets before, and then they'll have to get some more. They'll be uh, – there'll be a lot of people in my family who are just really pumped. They don't have to travel to see me. I have a lot of friends back from high school and whatnot that want to come out. It'd be, uh, it'd be really special for, I think, all the people that know me.
0: Okay. Now, this is the sort of last thing, sort of backwards looking thing I'm going to talk about. Obviously, you know, the normal pro day process for the vast majority of, of college prospects just did not happen. A handful right. of teams... The earliest part, like the first couple of days, got got in pro days, and almost everybody else after that did not. Uh, with the short circuiting of the normal process, one uh, with no date to point to, how different did that make your training process? And then the sort of the number two, the follow up part to that is, did you do your own quote unquote pro day, and if so, did you post it date?
1: Yeah. So our pro day was late. It was supposed to be. Uh what was it April 2nd maybe and so that got yeah. cancelled about three weeks before it happened and uh, so then we were kind of scrambling trying to find somewhere to go uh, I actually called University of New Hampshire our uh, craft state team and they said I'd come up to theirs on Tuesday maybe like the 17th or so and so we booked our flights we were going to leave the 15th of uh, March go up there get the pro day in and, like, the day we were supposed to take off on our flight, that's when the NFL shut everything down. And uh, Oh, wow. So, yeah, having no pro day definitely hurt me. It was a uh, tough enough to get that chance in front of the scouts because I was going to perform really well. And so my uh, draft prep group, we did our own pro day. And filmed everything, posted on YouTube, and uh, I actually had one of the best pro days really in the entire country for offensive linemen. I ran a five two forty. I benched 28 reps. I had a 4.60 5.10.5 shuttle. I had a 7.30 L drill, a nine foot broad jump, and a 31 inch vertical. And so, whenever you put those in these, like the RAS calculator the guys use at the combine, I actually had the number one score of my height, weight measurements, and testing of any interior alignment at the entire combine. Shout
0: out to my friend Kent Lee Platt, the father of RAS,
1: relative athletics core.
0: I know Kent, Um, so it's just cool to hear people quoting RAS, like, having known the guy that, you know, gave birth to it. It's his baby. Um, So, so yes, um, you are a really athletic offensive lineman, and it's so fun to watch you. And I really, 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 really would have loved to see you. Heck, I would love to see you at the Combine. That would have been great. Uh, and I, I would love to see you at the Senior Bowl because that would have been really great. But, uh, but yes, I think you uh, – now, is it possible that people can actually see your workout? Like, did, you, did anybody
1: uh, shoot it? Yeah, it's, it's on YouTube right now. If you just Google uh, Zach San Martino Pro, they'll come up, the whole thing. Has all the, it has all the measurement videos as well. There's everything there.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, I will will, uh, urge everyone to check that out. Also, I will be tweeting out the link. Uh, So, those of you who have not yet had the pleasure of watching Zach Zamartino show you what a special athlete he is, check that out. Um, I I very much have enjoyed seeing you both as a a player and as a prospect. And now I'm getting to know you a little bit as a person. It's clear that you have a you know, a lot of the things you look for in a football player because in addition to the football part of it, I can also tell that there's a very intelligent, well-raised, humble but confident young man also attached to all that football talent. So at some point, football will end. It ends for all of us. For people like me, it ends pretty quickly. For people like you, it may end a little later down the line. What will you do with yourself? You have a, this great education. What will you do once football is finally over?
1: Yeah, uh, so I'll probably go to work using that degree of mine. I'll, uh, Even though it's was a major, I took a lot of business classes. I took a uh, program at a business school in the offseason, and I plan on getting into business, probably some sort of sales, I would have to guess, sales or consulting.
0: Okay, got it. And... I'll I'll just go through so the last few questions. So if you could go back and see yourself as a you know, high school senior, right? Seventeen, going on eighteen, Zach Sammartino, and you could tell him about what the next five years are gonna be like and what things, maybe five things or a few things that you would want him to know about what's about to happen to him, what would you tell this younger
1: version of yourself that? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be ups and downs, and that stuff's going to happen. You're not going to – just because you're not a starter day one doesn't mean your career's over. Just because you get injured, I mean, you just got to keep working through everything, and uh, it's all going to come out well in the end, and it's all going to work out for you. Just keep your head down. Keep working. Don't get distracted. Keep your mindset on your end goal. Okay.
0: And – I know that, once again, it's sort of like a question I asked before. I know you would, you know, you'll, whoever they line up across from you, you'll, you'll block them. But there's got to be some guys you've dreamed about blocking. If you could put together like a short list, your Zach's hit list, right, the guys you. that you dreamed about blocking, right, the guys that, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I know, whoever it is, you'll, you'll go get them. But, I mean, the guys that you want to sort of put in your trophy case, right, your mental trophy case. Who are the guys you dreamed of
1: blocking when you get to the league? People ask me that a lot, and everyone's disappointed. I really don't have that list, honestly. Okay. I
0: I believe you. You say it. I believe you.
1: Um, And some people are wired
0: differently, right? Because I know people who, like, when they were 14, started making lists, right? I had a of people on my shelf. Who's just mad? I was not think the defensive pass. he's mad the guy retired. It's like, oh i was gonna catch a touchdown on that guy. You know? Like he as a as like a ninth grader he started making lists like I'm gonna who's what I'm gonna do the so and so, like you know, like he's planning everything. The end zone celebration, like all of it, right? So right. different people are wired differently. Coach are is wild and a wide receiver, that seems a wide receiver personality thing to worry a lot about how you're gonna celebrate and who you're gonna catch touchdowns on and stuff like that. Uh, I guess offensive lobby don't have those problems, uh, nah. figuring out how they're going to celebrate <laughs> or who they're going to embarrass and all good stuff. Uh, okay, so my last couple of questions. When you do get established in the league, and uh, let, me, let me also ask a question before I get to that. If for some reason – uh, the NFL is not happen right away, but there's an opportunity to play in an alternative league or the CFL. Or, have you considered those opportunities and would you pursue
1: pro football outside of the NFL? Yeah, we haven't given that a ton of thought yet. Yeah, we still feel pretty good to my age and I that we're going to get this call soon, but uh, I'd, I'd have to think about that. I'd probably give Canada a shot for a little bit, but uh, yeah, we'll see. we kind of see how it plays out. I haven't given a ton of thought in that yet. Yeah, we'll uh, play that when it gets better. we'll cross that mountain when we
0: get okay. there. Sure. Well, the one thing I'll say about the CFL is you will get the chance to work on your past set if you do it on the sure. CFL. That's sure. a passing That's So if there's, I wouldn't say a criticism. Um, if there there's one little note, um, and it's a little note, if I were critiquing, and you know, trust me, I'm no expert, so feel free to reject anything I say. But if a the, I would say there's some things that can improve in past protection techniques just in terms of just smoothness and efficiency, but you get done. I mean, obviously, since no one's getting there, I guess it's hard. But sort of, it's hard to sort of like saying, you know, I noticed that the um, this Maserati, you know, there's not a lot of trunk space. It's sort of like that, you know, it's like, um, yeah, so that's not what you buy a Maserati. Uh, obviously, you're so good at so many things just sort of nitpicky stuff. It's just could you get a little more smooth or a little more efficient in some of your, your pass pro footwork. I would probably say yes. Once again I'm no expert. That's, Agreed. I mean, don't take her for what take her for what it is. But like there's probably people who know this better than I would who who might not, not agree with me. But other than that, like there's not much else that's missing there. You 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 know how to anchor, you're super powerful, you're a good athlete, you clearly enjoy finishing people, but you do it without getting too far out over your skis as they say you know you know God, you, I, don't, I, don't, I don't I can't think of any time I've ever seen you on the ground I mean other than like tripping over somebody I mean, like little but i mean not like yeah technique problems right I mean where right. you just got too aggressive and fell over or something I don't see you doing that like I see you being able to dominate people and still be under control, which is terrific and awesome and beautiful for sure um well, I, first of all, I just wish you the very best. I I know this has been just a crazy situation, not just for you but for everybody involved, for the coaches, for the teams, for the everybody. Like it's not just, like everyone's been scrambling around trying to figure out how to do this. And I I talk to scouts, and it's been really just convoluted. And like the only good side is they see their family for you know some time they normally wouldn't. They'd be on the road, but the downside is they you know need – you know, people think the haze in the barn, everyone's played their last game, but I don't understand how the evaluation process, especially when it comes to stacking your board, really goes up until maybe the week prior to the draft. For uh, sure. So you're still, right?
1: I mean, I, I, now, have you had conversations with NFL scouts? I know sometimes they'll come to your school and things like that. Have they talked to you? Yeah, I've had some phone calls leading up to the draft, and when I was back at school, i talked to several teams.
0: Okay. Uh, I, do you feel comfortable naming teams? I'm, I'm not going to ask you if you're feeling you know, uncomfortable. I, I just try to get gauging interest. Whether are you, were you sworn to secrecy, or you can tell me some of the teams that showed interest?
1: Yeah, I got to keep that quiet. But I've talked since last uh, okay. season that I've talked with 11 teams
0: between Dallas, okay. Texas. 11 is a good number. <laughs> That's a little over one third of the whole whole week. That's a, okay. So there's interest, obviously. Uh, sure. What what kinds of things did they say to you? I mean, obviously, I'm assuming they were encouraging. But did they
1: have any notes, or did they have any questions? Yeah, I mean, I think coming from a school where they probably didn't know much about me up until the uh, season had ended, they uh, just kind of want to get to know who I am. They want to know my family. They want to know if I have any like off uh, off the field baggage they have to deal with, anything like that. And so I think they're just about about half-hour conversations, just trying to talk about you, your family, what you're doing, how your career was, and just trying to know, figure out who you are in a half-hour conversation.
0: Okay. Well, the one thing I would say about, one thing I hate to generalize, but when a dad comes from Dartmouth, you don't get to meet 3 a.m. phone call guys coming out of Dartmouth. Like, that's a pretty solid bunch of guys uh, for as long as Dartmouth has played, played football. So you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy who's been a, quote-unquote, problem who came from Dartmouth. It's uh, been a, a solid program in terms of the people they put out as well as the players they put out for a very, very long time. Uh, was there a particular coach in your career you think had the greatest impact on you?
1: Yeah, my offensive line coach, Coach Clark, up at Dartmouth, without a doubt. He's a really smart man. He's a really good teacher, and uh, he tells you why to do things. And he, like, tells you the reasoning behind it. He doesn't just say, like, do this because I said so. He goes, you got to do this because the defense is going to do A, B, C. And so everything that you can counter with that, he was a great coach. He taught us a lot. Okay, good, 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 good.
0: Um, I can, like I said, I can tell that for someone who didn't have a tremendous amount of high school experience, you grew quickly as a football player in your time at Dartmouth. Uh, And you know, like I said, there's still maybe a couple things you to wrinkle up. I can tell, I can tell how quickly you're learning things. You know that once you get in a camp, you'll the couple of things you need to work on. you Within a couple of weeks, you'll probably have them pretty much mastered. You seem to pick up things fairly quickly. That's the goal. Thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. Well, once again, uh, Zach, I want to thank you so much for your time. I, I will give you your life back. <clears throat> but I, I do want to let you know, <clears throat> as I said, just how much I've appreciated that you made this time. I want to make it clear that I appreciate your talent, your work ethic. Uh, some of that is yeah, purely God-given, but a lot of it was you deciding it. Cause there's nothing normal and natural about what offensive linemen are asked to do for the most part. Uh, yeah. a lot of that has to be sort of driven into yourself. You have to have a certain amount of discipline uh, to play that position. To play, especially to play center. I mean, that. I wish that every football fan, for one day in their life, could be asked to play center, even <laughs> just in a practice setting. I think I think they'd have a great, a great appreciation for for what all that, because there's the mental side of it is, you know, right there with playing quarterback in terms of the things that you have to know about the protections and run scheme and adjustments and all that. And, you know, things you might have to change on the fly. And then the physical demands of saying, oh, and could you, you know, help on an Aaron Donald when you're done with that, go get this linebacker who runs four six Right. Yeah can't wait. <laughs> yeah, where, yeah, where, where, where do I sign up to do that all day long? That sounds awesome. Uh, so, so, yes, um, once again, like I said, thank you so much. Please let your representation know how much I've enjoyed uh, getting a chance to know you better. You'll get a follow-up email with some of the same questions and some different questions, but, you know, a mix of questions that I'll be using to build out a profile. I'll be writing up a story for Nuts and bolts sports And may also share some stuff with the NFL Draft Bible as well. We're we're all sort of writing stories about some of the unsigned players and I'm sort of stacking, you know, a list of the best unsigned. And I think you're one of the top three or four unsigned offensive linemen. Period. Whatever thank level you. of so Hey, thank yourself. Uh, you you, <laughs> you made that a, you made that true. I just For watched sure. You did the hard stuff. You you lifted all those weights. You did all that running. You did all that eating. All of you, uh, right? And then the film study. People have no idea. Now, I know there's limits of how much practice time you have, but in an average game week, about how much time do you think you spend on film study? Probably 12
1: hours, I'd say,
0: between after practice yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Right. So in addition to practice and a fairly challenging academic workload, ah, just twelve hours of film study, you know, on my own by myself because I know I need to. I mean that tells me that tells me who you are and, and what it is you're capable of doing. Well once again, and like I said uh, for real, I'm giving you your life back now. It's been a real pleasure. Look for an email from me. Um either later today or tomorrow morning and then once you return that with the questions. Also, before I forget, please enclose a photograph of yourself. Um i right, always like to You know, you're not a a bad young man. Okay, this is an unofficial question. Uh, You don't have to answer it, but I I always ask it. Uh, What is your status? This is a question for the ladies out there. Um, Are you taken? Are you available? What's your situation in terms
1: of your relationship status? No, I have a girlfriend. She actually just graduated from Duquesne yesterday.
0: Congratulations! Well, see, another fine institution in, um, in Pittsburgh with a great tradition, um, academically and athletically. So that's fantastic. Congratulations. Um, and what does she do? What is her field? Uh, she's a nurse. She's going to be a nurse.
1: She just graduated with her nursing oh. degree. Well, this just
0: ties it back into what I said at the beginning of things with what's going on now. God bless her. What's the young lady's name? Erica. Erica, God bless. Um, I recently was responding to a post from my, one of my favorite cousins, my uh, cousin Juanita, who was retired but was a nurse for 33 wow. years. So That's was, a long, long time. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Like, well, as you know, I mean, nurses are like athletes. I mean, a lot of what they do is very physically demanding. And, for yeah, sure. my, my, my cousin has some back issues and things like that because of her years of doing that. But, whew, God bless. Um, she's walking into one of the most challenging fields in the healing arts and she's going to be asked to be a scientist and a counselor and a caregiver and all the things that go into nursing. Um, as much as I love football, you know, when I think about what's going on right now, the people that I really want to take my hat off to is the doctors and the nurses and the
1: EMTs
0: and, I mean, and people who bring us food and, you know, make sure that we have the things we need to survive when all this is going on. So please pass along to her my congratulations on, first of all, uh, crossing the finish line of this first step of a very long journey uh, in what I hope will be a very successful career, and thank her for this commitment to serving others in ways that most people can't even imagine.
1: Will do. Thank you. Certainly.
0: And and here's the, the extra bonus. Uh, as you know, Jason Witten um, has a wife who is a, a nurse and a very good one. Gea Time has diagnosed him with things that he didn't know he had. So, you know, maybe a little side um, note. I don't know if you know the ruptured spleen story, but he, he ruptured his spleen, and because he's, you know, cause he's insane and he's Jason Whitney played through it, and she was the one that said, You need to go to the hospital. <laughs> and sure enough, sure enough, if she hadn't, I mean, they say that he was an hour and a half, maybe, from dying.
1: You know, like, yeah, he that's
0: had, crazy. Uh, of course, because of Jason Witt, he missed like one game because of Jason but, uh, <laughs> he's Jason Whitney. But was like back the next week. God, what a, what a cyborg of a human being. But um, enough about that. I could talk about football literally all day long, but that would not be fair. So I'm giving you your life to do the things that you need to do. Uh, last, This is the last thing. Please tell people who want to find you and follow you. Where can they find more about you? Where can they follow you? Uh, what are your social media
1: presences and handles where people can follow the, the exact San Martino story? Yeah, I'm pretty easy. It's a Z San Martino and then the number one. This is Z San Martino 1. So you'll find all my stuff there and uh, all my videos on YouTube. I got some highlights, pro day, and then complete games on there. If you just Google my name, I'm sure you'll find it. Excellent. Well, once again, I, I, I thank you very, very much. Uh, like I said, look for that, that
0: email. Uh, send us back your answers and your photograph. I will send you a link uh, when the, when the uh, article goes live. And once again, I, I – and please, oh, one last thing. Give me an update when you get a call. Uh, will I would do. Like to, uh, I would like to know as soon as you're, you know where your, your next uh, playing home is. And once again, I thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day, a fantastic career, and an amazing life, Zach. Thank you. You too. That was CDS Pro Prospects Radio for the 9th of May, 2020. Uh, we're going to have Eric Henneman, who uh, we originally wanted to try to have this week, but travel plans, uh, some things came up for him last minute, and he had an opportunity to go someplace. Uh, hopefully I'll get an update about that soon, and he'll give me some more details. But um, but yes, uh, we should hopefully have him next week, and he'll tell us well, what went on hopefully this week. But uh, we'll be lining up some other interviews with other unsigned players and just talking about this very unusual year so different, uh, where these guys who normally would be in a mini camp or, or trying to get into a mini camp instead are working out socially distantly working out uh and which is harder for some positions than others. Like if you're a wide receiver, once again, you know, the quarterback's over there, he throws you balls over here, you run routes by yourself. So there's all but I mean, offensive line really is that true, you know, iron sharpens as iron as man, as man sharpens man kind of thing. I mean, it's, well, once again, I just wish you all the best. So that's it. We're done. Um, have a great, 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 great weekend, and take care. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about
1: anywhere.